Our reading today is taken from Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O oh God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that the mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Uche. And if you have a Bible, please do keep it open at that Psalm, Psalm 10, and as Stephen said, this morning we want to think about how we are to pray in times of war. Let's pray. Lord, the disciples came to you and said, teach us to pray. Lord, the prophet said, we don't know how to pray, but our eyes are upon you. And so today, Lord, our eyes are upon you. And we pray that you will teach us to pray. Amen. In Tolstoy's epic tale of pre 
Russian Revolution, high society, war and peace. There is a conversation that takes place in the palace about the war that is taking place with Napoleon. And Princess Eliza says this, I don't understand. I decidedly do not understand why men can't live without war. I spoke yesterday to a woman who is a member of the House of Lords. I said, how do we pray? And she said, well, pray for the women to be heard. Pray for the voices of the mothers and of the wives and of the sisters to be heard. The demonic brought death to Eden and war to humanity. The very firstborn son of man, Cain, killed his younger brother Abel out of greed and jealousy and pride. And he was marked as a murderer. And that mark has followed humanity through the corridors of history. One of the oldest prehistoric mass graves 13,000 years old, has 20 skeletons of people, all of whom died in violent battle. There are paintings on cave walls of war, of one person killing another. It's as old as the fall. And until the Prince of Peace returns and destroys the destroyer, we will see wars and hear rumors of war. And today, as the Kremlin continues its killing spree, the question is, how are we to pray? This week, I found Psalm 10 very helpful. The Psalms, there's a set of Psalms called the imprecatory Psalms. And literally they're prayers where the, the prayer is petitioning God to show justice and judgment against the wrongdoer. And this is one of those. And it gives us a vocabulary and it gives us some architecture for our praying. And the first thing that we see here is this heart cry, why? And twice in the opening verse, it says, why, Lord? Why, Lord? And then says, where are you? And as images of horror and terror invade our screens, and as we see people just like us with hastily chosen possessions on the run, stuffed into a suitcase, sheltering from the hunters in cellars and sewers. From deep down, our cry joins theirs. Why? Why, God? And where are you? And it's right that we ask those questions. It shows that we see. And it shows that we care. It shows that we're alive. Why God is not a philosophical question, it's an existential one and an emotional one, and it's a passionate search for an answer that makes sense of a holocaust that is unfolding before our eyes. I spoke this week to a vicar, and she said that she'd spent the whole day, preceding day, in tears. I said, that is prayer. 
And we need to learn in this season to find our tears and to pray wet prayers. The atheist cannot cry, why, Lord? They don't believe in a Lord. And they can hardly even cry, why? Because war for an atheist is literally the outworking of a selfish gene. It's the law of the jungle. It's nature red in tooth and claw, and morality is nothing but a pragmatic social construct. Dostoevsky was right. If there is no God, everything is permissible. But there is a God, and so it's not. And in our why, God, we protest. But the psalmist has somewhere to go with his why. He has a highest court of appeal, and he can go to God, the judge of the judges. And the psalmist prays because he knows that his prayers won't fall on deaf ears. And he addresses the God who hears and the God who is not impotent. He knows God won't turn away, and he knows his God can turn around the situation. In verse 2 to 10, or 2 to 11 actually, of this psalm, the psalmist descriptively describes the cause for his cry. Four times he speaks about the wicked man, the wicked man. And another time he talks about wickedness and evil in general. And this category of wickedness and evil presupposes a moral framework, a moral foundation, a moral referent point, a moral arbiter, a good, a good God. The wicked man we read here disdains God's laws. He thinks he can do whatever he wants and get away with it. And look at all the adjectives describing him. He's deceitful. He's boastful, he's threatening, ambushing, terrorizing, murdering. Just look at all the descriptions there. And isn't that something of what we're seeing unfolding today? We see just such a wicked man today. For wicked it is that is unfolding before us, the invasion of a sovereign nation the inversion of truth, the imposition of an alien will by force, the indiscriminate targeting of non-combatant civilians. This is wicked. Our own archbishops of York and Canterbury said last week, the horrific and unprovoked attack on Ukraine is an act of great evil. And Putin is driven by his own megalomania, and lust for control and power. And he's driven by a nostalgia to see once again the Soviet superpower ruling from the Baltic to the Pacific. And he's driven by a certain paranoia unfounded of a perceived threat of NATO on his borders. But behind that man's iron fist and desire for a new iron curtain is what we read in Ephesians 6 verse 12. Demonic schemes, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly realms. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And Paul in that passage says, how do we respond? Well, three times he says we're to withstand. 
withstand, stand, stand. Four times he says we're to pray. Pray, pray, pray for me, pray for me. And twice he says we're to preach the gospel. And that is warfare in wartime. The heart cry, Lord, why, must lead to the heart cry, Lord, arise. And that's what the psalmist does here. In verses 2 to 11, having described the character of the wicked, he moves in verses 13 to 14 to, the, to describing God. He lists the character of the wicked man and then the character of a righteous God. And this character of God, this being of God, top trumps the wicked. And he says, God sees and God cares and God takes the matter in hand. And twice he says, God helps the fatherless. And it's a right vision of God that will help us in our intercession before this wicked scenario unfolding before us. We need to go to him and we need to get God, God in our perspective. Verse 12 the psalmist says, arise, Lord, and stretch out your hand. Bear your arm. Do what only you can do. He says, and don't forget the helpless. These are words that can, they're vocabulary for our prayers. If you don't know what to pray, pray this. Arise, Lord, and put out your hand, and don't forget the helpless. Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked man and call the evildoer to account. We're not to get stuck at why God? Why God? We're to move to arise God and show your power. Well, let me just offer a few headings for our prayer. Firstly, obviously, we've got to pray for the Ukraine. We've got to pray for Ukrainian people. And we're to pray, arise, Lord, and stretch out your arm. We've got to pray for their inspirational President Zelensky. What a man for such a time as this. Let us pray for him, for a supernatural grace and wisdom and insight and connection. Bless that man. Pray for the courageous soldiers and the armed civilians who are protecting their homeland. Pray for a divine shield of protection over that nation. Pray for their rescue. Pray for their welcome by their neighbors. Pray for aid to get through to where it is needed. Pray for wisdom for those involved in the distribution. Pray for the trauma that all of them must be experiencing. Mourning the loss of loved ones. Mourning the loss of their life as they knew it. Pray for the refugees, traumatized, separated from their fathers and their sons and their husbands. Pray for them. And let's pray for a victory against the odds over their enemy and a return and a rebuilding of their land. First and foremost, let us pray. You know, all of us will have been consumed by what we're watching on the screens or reading in the newspapers. But this is a time to turn what we see into prayer. And when we see individuals, let us bless them and ask God to help them.
And then secondly, let us pray for the Russian people. And pray, arise, Lord, and stretch out your hand. I spent the last two years reading Russian literature, and the Russian history is one of bloody tragedy. This is a people who are acquainted with grief. In 1891, a famine, in, in a famine, and there have been a succession of them, killed half a million Russians of starvation. All the while, the wealthiest family in the world, the Romanovs, worth by today's standard 300 billion, lived in utter, unimaginable decadence. Just go to the Hermitage and just see some of their trinkets and toys. And they wined and dined and partied as the people that they led died of hunger. That partly precipitated the communist uprising and the civil war. 1917, six million were killed in that civil war. Lenin then went on to kill another three million directly and his policies responsible for another famine in 1921 and 22. He killed 500,000 farmers because they owned a, a cow or a donkey or a bit of land. 500,000 kulaks killed and there was no one to farm and a terrible famine hit and five million died of starvation. This is a people acquainted with grief. Under Stalin's rule, 1924 to 53, Lenin executed three million more people. No, that's Lenin. Stalin executed 50 million people. He had shot 106,000 priests. A maniac and a murderer and a wicked man. This is a nation that has known great suffering. Two-thirds of Russian land is under permafrost, and it's as if that permafrost is frozen blood of its own people, and the blood from the ground cries up. Listen, I've been hearing things this week of hatred and words spoken against the Russian people. Most don't want a war. They're led by madmen. They're taken into a war they don't want. I've spoken to two Russian friends this week. They don't want war. One was so broken he couldn't speak to me. He just said, my children. International sanctions are necessary to choke resourcing of Putin's military ambition, but sadly, who suffers the most from this? I think they're necessary, but who suffers? The poorest. And we've got to remember the poor. And we've got to pray that the people know the truth that sets them free. And that they find access to the truth and isn't suppressed and silenced. And that the Orwellian ministry of lies and propaganda and disinformation is exposed for what it is. I asked a friend of mine who's a politics professor in America and was an advisor in military matters to two previous presidents. I wrote to him this week. I said, I said, what do we pray for? I said, can prayer make a difference? He said, yeah. I said, well, what do we pray for? He said, pray that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. Let's pray for Russia. Let's pray for the Russian people. And let's have more ordinary people doing extraordinary things and turning that nation back from 
the brink. And then thirdly, we've got to pray for the nations. Arise, Lord, and stretch out your hand. Those nations who live on the borders of Russia and just fear the domino effect. I spoke to a Latvian two weeks ago, and he said, we are next. I spoke to a Polish philosopher this week who's going back because they think they're next. And we've got to pray for Finland and Sweden and Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland. We've got to pray for wisdom for governments as they make plans and respond, and wisdom for NATO leaders as they strategize and put together a military We've got to pray for our hearts to open and then our borders to open. We've got to pray for other nations. We've got to pray at this time that other nations don't see the turmoil and instability in the West and think, now's our time to make a military move. We've got to pray for the world. We've got to pray for diplomacy. Blessed are the peacemakers. Let's bless them. Trying to make peace. And as I said, we've got to pray for our own hearts that they don't become hardened towards the Russians. I've already heard things said that are unrighteous and racist. Let's, let's remember that this is a, a war led not by the people, but by those in power. And then fourthly, we've got to pray for the Ukrainian church. And we've got to pray, arise, Lord, stretch out your hand. You know, there's a medieval myth that claims St. Andrew, one of the first disciples and apostles, St. Andrew in the first century came up the river Dnieper uh, that runs through Ukraine and got out of the boat on the river bank and went up the bank and planted a cross and prophesied in the name of Jesus and prophesied that a great city would be built here. And five centuries later, Kiev was built. And then in 988, Prince Vladimir of Kiev, who was the ruler of the Rus people, the Russians, was baptized and accepted Christ. And with his baptism, the rest of the nation. Kiev is the spiritual heart and the missions base, the church planting center for the whole of Russia. This is a spiritual Warfare, not just a military and political and territorial one. And as we cry, Lord, arise, I think the Lord is crying, church, arise. And we've got to pray for the church to once again, as it were, plant the cross there and to herald the gospel. I heard one Ukrainian pastor this week when asked, who's, who's remained in Kiev, when asked what would he like prayer for, do you know what he said? Revival in the church. Revival in the church. Not get me out of here. Revival. And then fifthly, let us pray for Putin. The psalmist prays specifically in verse 15 that God will break the arm of the wicked man and call the evil doer to, to account so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. It's a dangerous thing to be on the wrong side of God's righteousness. But you know, Putin is baptized, apparently has 
a private chapel that he prays in every morning, was baptized by his believing parents in communist atheist Soviet Union when he was born. Let's pray for him. Let's pray for him to be confronted by the faith of his parents. He actually is a, a puppet for the dark spiritual forces. They control his arm. He controls with his arm Russia. Russia is seeking to control with their arm the Ukraine and whatever. And we've got to pray that that arm is broken. And we've got to pray that he will have a revelation and that he will repent and that he will turn around or that he will be removed. That the president changes or there is a change of president. And then sixthly, we've got to pray for ourselves. The great Bible teacher Derek Prince once said, a crisis adjusts our priorities. It puts things in perspective. And it calls things into question in our hearts and our lives and our worldview. And it asks, how are we going to live? And how will we use our freedom? And are we thanking God for what we have? And are we redeeming the time? Knowing I was preaching this, I wrote to everyone I knew who I thought might be interesting and have something to say. My friend Mark, who served in the British Armed Forces for over, for nearly three decades, 17 years in the SAS, he said that Putin in his pride, like a bear with a, a bloody nose going on the rampage, he, he could just scale things up. It could lead to all-out war. He has the capacity. But he said, even with that, we need a, an eternal perspective. And he quoted that verse from the Lord Jesus. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Let's pray for ourselves. Let me conclude. Prayer makes a difference. It's not just landing in thin air. It's not going up and coming back down. It's landing in the heart and mind of God. This week I was at a prayer meeting here and I prayed with a couple, both who, who have uh, ex-military connections. One was a, an ex-marine pilot a uh, search and rescue helicopter pilot, and the other was the son, uh, was a sister and son and granddaughter of generations of American Marines. And the pilot prayed this, Lord, cause the bombs to be dropped on empty fields and cause the navigation equipment to give false readings. I, I just love the spe specificity of the <laughs> prayers. Just knew what to pray. Pray that the tanks, he said, just get bogged down. That the supply chain can't be met. He understands how you execute war and he just prayed. We've got to pray specifically. And then his wife, whose brothers, both her brothers and her dad and her granddad were soldiers. She's a classics professor. She said this, Lord, cause the generals and the colonels and the majors and the captains and the lieutenants and the NCOs and the ranks to refuse orders and turn around. 
What a great prayer. I then read in successive days in the newspaper, all these things were happening. We need to pray prayers like that. It can happen. It's happening. God is hearing. Let me finish with this. I read this account this week from the Falklands War. Some of you may remember that, 1982. And two para made an assault on the Argentinian base at Goose Green and it had stalled. Their colonel, Colonel H. Jones, who was later awarded a posthumous VC, was killed. They'd taken severe casualties. 16% of their troops were down. The paras were facing odds of three to one. Troops were short of ammunition. They'd been up for 40 hours. They were in really poor shape. There was a potential of an Argentinian um, counterattack. They were given orders to advance. They simply couldn't do it. And Major Keeble was approached by his anxious officers. They said, what on earth are we going to do? Outnumbered, under pressure, in real trouble. And Keeble was a devout Christian. He said, give me a few minutes. And he went off up a gully. And it was, it was still burning. The gorse was still burning. And he knelt down and he took a prayer out of his pocket and he just gave himself again to God. That it, a prayer that he'd carried all the way from England in his tunic. And then he, he asked God for help. And God said, tomorrow morning ask the Argentinians to surrender. Militarily impossible. What's going to happen? But he went back to his troops. He said, I'm going to ask them to surrender. I mean, they were winning. The powers were losing. The next morning, he took a couple of Argentinian prisoners, went down to Goose Green and asked for their surrender, and they all surrendered with no more bloodshed. Amazing things can happen when we seek God, and that's what we need to do. Psalm 10 begins with the cry, why God? It continues with the prayer, arise God. And then, as you'll see, the last few verses, it celebrates the God who has heard and responded and who has broken the arm of the wicked and raised his righteous arm. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen.